Well, let's go to our text. Now, our text today is going to be John chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. John chapter 10, verses 10 and 11 for our text. And so I hope that you'll be there and follow along. And I hope you have pencil and papers. Uh, you know, we do put that uh, thing about uh, sermon notes right there in the bulletin each week so that you can have them. So if there's something there you say, you know, I want to ask a preacher a question about that or ask someone about that or I didn't know that or there's something else that you want to go back and study for yourself. Sometimes it's just good to write it down. Well, let's look here now at John chapter 10, beginning with verse 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. You know, we don't deserve that, that he gave his life for us, that we might have everlasting life. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get into this message today. Father, I thank you for the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. He came willingly. He came in love. And the greatest heartbreak he has is when he has to say to someone, depart me, I never knew you. For they have rejected Christ as Lord and Savior. Oh, Father, I pray if there's one in our midst today or listening by live stream or internet in some way or another, Lord, I just pray that if they have not received Christ as Savior, that today would be the day they come to know Him as their Lord. And Lord, for what years we have on this planet, I pray that those would be years that bring glory to Your name. And we'd ask this that name above every name, the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You know, I titled this sermon, An Ultrasound of the Resurrection, and uh, I kind of had the idea, and it's true, when you see the ultrasound of a, uh, the resurrection, you're looking at a new life that you can have in Jesus Christ. And that ultrasound says it's a perfect life, it's a healthy life, it's an everlasting life, and it's in Christ and Him alone. But when they say ultrasound, we know that they're going to test to find out about the health of a child. And they want to find out uh, the, the sex of the child. And, and that ought to really be interesting today, shouldn't it? I mean, now they said they have 40 different uh, genders. So <laughs> how do they identify 40 different genders on, on those things? You know, uh, how do they identify any other gender besides male and female. Um, you know, I remember the little kids saying something around here when I first come back to the church here, and they'd say, well, something's really dumb, they'd say, duh, you know, and, 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 and that's one of those duh things, all right? Uh, you know, and, and it's interesting, because the same people that are telling us these things are the same people telling us, follow the science. Now, these are supposed to be the smart people. 
Now, I think that the wheel is still spinning, but I think the rat's dead, you know? I mean, it's just not happening. And, you know, when I see some of these things coming out, as we've seen over the last few years, coming out and all these things like that, uh, the Disney thing, so many other stuff like that, the LGBTQ and XYZ, whatever it is, you know, just all of that stuff coming out. And, you know, if somebody went up and said a penny for your thoughts and they took the penny, they could be arrested for price gouging. Now, let me tell you this. You know, we have Ocala Christian Academy. This is the home of Ocala Christian Academy, OCA. And I can tell you this. You let your child go to OCA, and when they graduate from OCA, they will know the definition of a female. Hey, there are Harvard graduates that don't know the definition of a female, and that's a shame because here, they not only learn the definition of a female, but they also learn to respect a female. And that's lost in this world today. So I, I, I like the idea of OCA. Maybe some of those Harvard graduates will uh, sue their schools and come here and learn. You don't know. An overview of this text this morning, though, we first see the thief is the bad guy. The thief is the devil. He seeks to kill and to destroy. He destroys souls. He destroys bodies. He destroys morals. He destroys minds. Now, isn't it interesting? Jesus came as the perfect Lamb of God. No sin. No sin whatever that he might die for our sin, to have all of our sin placed upon him and to die for us. He came as the perfect Lamb of God. Satan, that one that's out to kill and destroy, he came as a serpent, a deceiver whose deceit was successful against Eve and then Adam and death did come. A deceiver that wants to destroy humanity and yet so opposite of our Savior who came that humanity might have life and have it more abundantly. Satan wants to destroy the morals of humanity that's what you see in D.C., uh, in Disney. You see it in D.C. too, by the way. That's what you see in the attack on the homes of America and the world. That's what you see on entertainment. And on you could go down of all the things that Satan is behind to bring this down. So there is a difference then between kill which he's out to do, an abundant life. Mankind was created, as you've heard me say several times, and it's not original with me, it's with the Lord. But man was made in the image of God. And I say that because when you read Ezekiel, 
chapter 28, verses 13 through 16. I'm not going to go there now, but I want you to be able to look at that later. Ezekiel 28, verses 13 through 16. And it's mentioning the king of Tyrus. But the king of Tyrus is only a type. They're using him as a type. There were things that were evident in his life and in his kingdom at that time that just would help people to understand of that day what they're talking about. But it's actually, it was a type of Satan. Satan. It mentions the precious stones, that is the jewelry, the, all, uh, the, the uh, diamonds, the gold, those precious stones of different kinds, and other things of that nature. Those different things there that they mention, the jewelry. But it's a picture of Satan because before his fall, which was before the fall of man, before his fall, he was in charge of all of that in heaven. He was in charge of heaven's jewelry. And because of that, once he fell, he corrupted that. That's why when you hear Tinseltown, you think of Hollywood, you think of Las Vegas, and you think of all that is immoral and evil that goes with that. And then he was, it talks about the tabrets and the pipes. It's actually speaking of music. Satan was in charge of the jewelry. He was in charge of the music in heaven. He was in charge of that. And that's why he's able to corrupt music. That's why he's able to corrupt the things of jewelry and Tinseltown and the things. He corrupts, that's what he does. He destroys that which is pure. He destroys that which is good. He destroys that which is right. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. Uh, as a matter of fact, just one of the songs that we sung here about the angels singing. In Christmas, we talk about the angels singing. But actually, in the Bible, you don't see after the book of Job, which is speaking about before the fall of man. It's talking about before the fall of man and of even of the devil. Before that fall, it mentioned when the morning stars sang together. That was speaking of the angels. They sang together. But after Satan's fall, you don't see that any longer. Uh, if you look at the holy angels of God, you'll never see them wearing jewelry when their appearance is in the scriptures. Even in Revelation, we talk about crowns and things of that nature, but in Revelation, when we are singing up there, and it talks about the new song and what we're singing, we're singing. And it says, the angels join in saying. You see, you say, well, why is that? Because those good angels, those holy angels, had wanted nothing to do that would associate them with the devil, the one who fell, the one who corrupted their music, the one who corrupted the jewelry. He's the one that corrupted all of that. Satan was the covering cherub, where we learn in Ezekiel, meaning he covered the seat of God. What became known as the great mercy seat in heaven. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, 
that old tabernacle. The Lord told Moses that it would be made according to the pattern which he showed him, the pattern of the heavenly tabernacle. And in this tabernacle, there are two angels. Their wings touch one another while the other wing on each side is touching the wall and they're covering the mercy seat that nothing come by and corrupt. I believe that Satan had that job in heaven till he corrupted. He was removed. But it took two angels to replace him. Two strong angels to replace Satan. The covering was, over, was taken by them at the appointment of God. Yes, Satan definitely defines a thief, a killer, one who destroys. For at least one-third of the angels fell with him. If we understand Revelation chapter 12, verse uh, there where it talks about the angels, the stars, one-third of the stars that fell. One-third of the angels that fell with him. And so we find out Satan is out to destroy anything that's of God. He basically wanted to kill God that he might be ascend up and have everybody worship him. He offered to Jesus when he tried to tempt him to bow down and worship him. I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world for it is mine to give. It wasn't his to give until he was able to make Adam fall because before that it was Adam's. And when he said it's mine to give, Jesus didn't say no you're wrong on that. That was in his humanity. But you see, even in his humanity, he was still God. And he would not give in, even though he was subjected to all those same things that we are subjected to, and even more. But he still has his power. We read in the book of Jude that when Michael, the archangel, I mean, that's a high-ranking angel. That's, that's one of the tops. I mean, that's one of the four-star generals. Michael, the archangel, when contending with Satan, said, the Lord rebuked thee. When Satan tempted Jesus in the garden and he was in his humanity, when he tempted him in the wilderness and he's in his humanity, Jesus fought him off each time with, it is written, the word of God. That's why through the Word of God, you walk with God, you'll find that if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. But you must resist him in the power of the Word of God and his spirit to do that. And so he said, the Lord rebuked thee because he couldn't rebuke him in his own power. To kill means death, not abundant, eternal life. But when we consider life and death, death does not mean ceasing to exist, and it has never meant that. But it does mean separation. When our bodies die on this earth, 
our spirit separates from them that very moment. That very moment the spirit separates, the body will close its eyes in death. Even if they have them on a ventilator or something else that keeps everything going, that person's dead once that spirit is, is gone. We were created in God's image. John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24 tells us plainly. God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit. That inner man, we must worship Him. I've explained to you too often, I guess, but still, just real quickly, for somebody that may be listening or watching or in here today that's not heard this, but look. My soul is the seat of my emotions and feelings and things of that nature. My body my soul's in it. When God breathed into Adam's nostrils, he was a body and a soul, but no life. But when he breathed into his nostrils, the Bible's very plain about it. It says, man became a living soul. See, that was the spirit of life coming into him. It's in the spirit we make the deep decisions of life. You make the decisions about marriage. You make the decisions about perhaps vocation. You make the decisions about the high important things of life. It's in the very depths of that spirit. You deal with the problems of life. You deal with the things that when doctors come to you and says, you have cancer, you have this, oh, your, your, your spouse is going to die, your parent's going to die, your child's going to die, and, and, and all of a sudden in your spirit, your spirit will cause emotions at that time. Your spirit will cause your soul to respond in tears. Perhaps there'll be fear. Perhaps there'll be other things. But it's that spirit, the real person that lives inside you. Yes, Jesus had a spirit. A human spirit. He had a human body. He had a human soul. I mean, we see it. Lazarus' grave, it says, Jesus wept. He could not weep. He couldn't show that emotion if he didn't have that soul. But on the cross, he will say, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. You see, the very real person is what leaves your body at death. That real person doesn't cease to exist. Why not? Because you were made in God's image. That spirit lives forever. That spirit is ever going to live forever either in heaven or in hell, depending upon if in that spirit you said, I'm a sinner, I'm headed for hell, I need a Savior, Jesus is that Savior, and I'm calling upon Him to save my soul, believing that He shed His blood on the cross, dying for every sin I ever have or ever will commit because He bore it all upon Him. Think about that, what He did for us. You know, most men, most people, when you think of what happened to him, they would be cursing him. They'd be cursing the worst things coming out of their mouths, desiring for them to die, desiring for everything else that could happen bad to those people, saying the worst of things about their mother and father and anything else. 
They would be doing whatever to curse that person. Those who whipped him with the Roman cat of nine and tails and just ripped that flesh open across his body. Do you realize that with that Roman cat of nine tails with the bits of metal, ivory, and bone that was tied in those leather straps going off, that they could, they could, with those 39 stripes made over 351 different rips into his flesh. And that is why there were men, I mean it's recorded, there are men that died at the whipping post. Their very entrails would fall out. Yes, it was a cruel thing. And yet, by his stripes we are healed. Wow. By his stripes we are healed. Oh, just think, they whipped him. And while they're whipping him, and then you think of everything else that's going to happen on the cross there, and before he goes to the cross, guess what he's saying? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You know, when the Greek language is hard as it is, and none of us could speak, I think, the Greek language, no matter how much we study, could speak the, that language as they spoke it in that day, the Cornines, as Greek. Matter of fact, I, I remember my dad talking about some Greek students when he was in college, taking it, said, man, they're having all kinds of problems with that Greek. They hadn't seen anything like that. And they spoke Greek, but it wasn't that Greek. And yet, because of that present tense, it's the idea that he continually would say, Father, forgive them. When they yanked out his beard, he said, Father, forgive them. When they crushed those thorns on his head, I, I got to see those thorns when I was in J Jerusalem one time, and the, our guide showed it to me. Those things were that long. He says, this is the kind that they would have used because of the location and everything else. And when they crushed that upon his head, he's saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. When men would come up and spit in his face and mock him, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. When they put a blindfold around his eyes and they would slap him, they'd hit him and say, hey, prophesy, prophet. Who hit thee? Do you know, I believe that he could have told each one that did if he wanted to. They mocked him. They stripped his clothes from him. But then, what does he do? He conquered sin. Even the sin of those who did this to him, all the sin I have ever committed, all the sin that sometimes as men sit around and they talk about those bad things they did years ago as if it was a medal of honor and they know it was evil. Jesus was dying on the cross for that sin. He was paying the penalty for our sin. He was placed there for our sin. You know, it's interesting. Our idea of sin and what God's idea of sin are two different things. Him that knoweth to do right, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. We learn in the book of James. 
The thought of foolishness is sin. The thought of foolishness is sin. Oh, no, there's not one of us in this auditorium can say, I'm sinless. You know, the world out there, they, they want to try to get around this thing. They'll say, well, look, a good God wouldn't send anybody to hell. Now, I tell you what a good God does. He provides a way for them to miss hell. That's what a good God does. And who is anybody? I don't care if they have an IQ of 180. Who are they to tell God what his morals are to be and what he th they think is right or wrong and that he's wrong if they don't agree with him? Who are they? My God created the heavens and the earth. He created humanity and he created it all out of nothing. And they want us to believe that everything happened because of a big bang. Isn't that interesting? Why are we afraid of an atomic explosion? It'll repopulate the earth. I mean, I'm just using their, their so-called wisdom, their so-called understanding. It's wrong. God is altogether holy and righteous. Who is man to try to tell him what's right and wrong? God says what's immoral. God says what is holy. We have a term that we say, white lies. There are no white lies with God. And let me tell you, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was dying for those white lies. Look. He conquered sin. He conquered everything that ever conquered us. And he did it for all time. That's why when you get to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, it says, he is the propitiation. That is the entire payment for all time. The propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Anybody can come. That's a for whosoever will verse there. Just like if anybody doubts that, they can go to Revelation 22 and they can read there. Whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. Oh, yes. Let's not try to redefine what God's will is when he's clearly showed us in his word what his will is. And my friend, don't forget that on the cross, when all of that I've just said that was going on to him, while he is hanging on the cross and they're mocking him, they're spitting at him, they're making fun of him. He could have called 12 legions of angels, but he didn't have to do that. He could have just spoke the word. I mean, he spoke the word on the boat one day, and the storms and everything quit. He walked on water. He could have done that. But as he told Peter, if I call 12 legions of angels, then how am I going to pay the penalty for your sin? How am I going to fulfill the mission He has victory over sin, over hell, over death. He is the Savior. Only He can save. That is why the resurrection 
is just as important as the death on the cross. Because when he rose from the dead, understand, he rose up from the dead to show a physical bodily resurrection. Some people were doubting it in that day, but 500 different people saw him. It's kind of hard to, to doubt something and say something didn't happen when 500 people give witness, oh yes, I saw him. And they could say where they saw him. They could say what he was dressed, what he was dressed, everything about him. They knew. They saw him with their eyes. Jesus Christ arose from the dead, victorious over hell, victorious over the grave. So he has the keys of hell and of death. So the resurrection was important because in his humanity he obtained the keys of hell and of death. Now angels, principalities, powers are subject unto him. In his humanity he already had that power as God. But he came, took on human flesh, and he paid the penalty in full because we were born sinners needing a Savior. But he was showing us if we would receive him as our Lord and Savior, he would take us up. And we would live with him for eternity. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Let me just say this as I try to draw to a close now. What about that body in heaven? What about that body in hell? Think about it. The rich man looks across that great gulf. You see, before there's a lake of fire to end, right now there's a place called hell. When a man dies without Christ, then his spirit goes down to that place called hell. And there's paradise. Then there's this great gulf. And then there's this place called Hades. Hell. The, the rich man looks across there and he sees Lazarus across the gulf and sees him in Abraham's bosom, seeing that he is over there. He knows that's Lazarus. But let me tell you something. The body of Lazarus was still in a grave and the rich man's body was still in the grave that each of them occupied. You know what? Then how can they see that that's that person, that's that person? Because we don't see spirits in this life. How could he tell? I think that there is a body that the man in hell has that's like a prison. He'll never be able to cease to exist. He'll never escape. And the rich man said, I am tormented in this flame. Hell was a place of fire. Hell is a place of torment. And he says, I am tormented in this flame. And then guess what? From the other side. After he says, just send Lazarus, dip his finger in water and touch my tongue. He can't see that Lazarus, that might be, recognize him as that body. But that body doesn't have all those sores. Doesn't have all that disease. He doesn't know it, but boy, it should be good to have water on my tongue at least. If he dipped his finger in water and just touched my tongue. And then one of the things that I believe is one of the great torments, one of the great torments of hell, 
He says back to him, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime. How many people are going to be in hell one day and they're going to say, this isn't fair, this isn't right, this shouldn't be happening to me. Why would God do this? And they begin to curse God and say, oh, matter of evil against God. And they hear the voice. I believe maybe even like a recorded voice would be to us. And they hear an invitation. They hear a way to be saved. They hear the plan of salvation. They already had the witness of creation, the Bible tells us, but really, they had a chance to be saved. And in their mind, they're saying, not now. Not now. Maybe later. I'm not going up there. Yeah, those people are crazy. He's going to say, I had to have been insane, Lord. But the truth of the matter is, they're there for eternity. In a prison, I believe a prison of a body that can feel things that if I was in a fire right now, I would feel. If there was torment, I would feel it. Because that soul is in hell. He's clothed with a body as a prison that's in hell. But the believer who's with the Lord, the souls under the altar we read in Revelation, distinguishable, and yet not the new body that we'll have that will be fashioned like in the, His glorious body. I'll say more about this next Sunday perhaps, but really, It'll be fashioned like into his glorious body. That body that could go through walls. That body that could ascend up into heaven from a just standing position and standing on the earth. But people think, oh, we're going to look exactly like Jesus. No. We're going to have a body fashioned like into his glorious body. It'll be able to do the things. But no. We'll have our eyes on Jesus. That'll be the difference. As if you're saved. The best way to curse Jesus, if you really want to curse him, is die in your sin and go to hell. Be forever separated from salvation. Be forever separated from your family, even if your family's in hell, because there are degrees of punishment in hell. You don't have it with your friends. You may hear the scream of one of your own children. And you can't see them as a place of outer darkness, the Bible tells us. A darkness so thick that you can put your hand in front of your face and can't see it. Oh, the tortures of hell. And yet, it's in this life that we can avoid that and have everlasting life. And not just everlasting life, but life more abundant. Offering it to you today. So I ask again, do you know if you die today that heaven's your home? If you're not sure, you're wrestling with doubt, we're going to have an invitation here in just a moment. In that invitation, if you'll walk down here and meet me, I'll be standing right down here in front of this table down here. Say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. 
I will direct you to someone trained in the Word of God that will open the Bible and show you how to be saved. I can't do that if you don't come. And if you're listening on radio or you're watching by live stream, if you go to our website there, listen to our radio program, you'll hear at 1230 the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation. Don't miss it. Let's bow our heads, please.